Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, and happy Election Day 2023. I literally went right across the street to my polling place and had three things to vote for. <laughs> and so I did my part. It took me all of, I think, about 45 seconds from sign-in to scan-out. And uh, anyway, don't forget to do that. Polls are open in Metro Atlanta until 7 o'clock at most polling places. We do have some outlying communities with some uh, city council seats, board of education seats. Y'all, don't forget to vote for these board of education seats. We're seeing book bans left and right and a lot of anti-wokeism being pushed uh, throughout uh, Metro Atlanta and the South and throughout the United States. School board seats are very, very important. Go in, of course, educated, know who you're going to vote for, and make those decisions wisely. County commission seats, uh, we've got some mayoral races throughout Metro Atlanta as well. And we're all still, I think, collectively, politically talking about the latest polling that came out, the Siena College New York Times polling, showing that in most, in fact, all but one of the battleground states, the current occupier of the White House, President Joseph Robinette Biden, trails the often-dighted former President of the United States, Donald Trump. And so while a lot of us are kind of stunned by this, we've been watching, I think, with a close eye on some of the decay within reliable Democratic bases. Hispanic American voters, there's a little bit of a tail-off. There seems to be a tail-off in the African American vote. And there is, and listen, I can attest to this because I talk with folks on various channels, social media-wise, and there's a, a palpable frustration within the African American community towards the Democratic Party. In particular, the subject of reparations comes up. And of course, criminal justice reform, police reform, those are the, the, the issues that come up often. Uh, wealth inequality, of course, we get back to reparations with that. And I wanted to talk to someone who I think can really give us an honest historical snapshot and actually maybe even give me a spirit to debate, dialogue, discussion, pushback is welcome. Uh, educator and author Dante King, author of the book, The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal psychopathic and sociopathic black genocide and the revolt against critical race theory joins me. Dante King, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for having me again. I always always appreciate being here with you. Dante, talk to me. Uh, you saw the poll numbers come out as well. And when you see, as most of us have, that there, uh, there seems to be some lag in African-American support for not just the president, but for the Democratic brand in and of itself, what are your initial thoughts? Absolutely. Um, so I think a lot of Black voters are disgruntled and also just disenchanted about the whole political system as well as the legal system in this country. Um, I think if you follow the history, particularly of African Americans, um, when we look at, for example, the end of the 19th century, where you know there is a push by the American political system or American leaders to grant Black people rights. And so you have the passage of the 14th and 15th Amendment. One grants citizenship, the other grants the right to vote. But you see after that, just a few years afterwards, rights being taken away through the court system. There's the Supreme Court decision where Black people are prohibited, equal treatment in public accommodations. And that decision struck down the Civil Rights Act of 1875. And so our involvement in the United States political system has always been one that is unsecured. It's, it's volatile. And so we don't necessarily see ourselves as having 
any type of political muscle or influence. And by by me saying this, what I mean is that our needs have are never met, have never been met right. by the United States political system. Right. And so we're always voting, in many cases, Black people, from what I've heard in my family, both in the larger community, for the lesser of two evils. We're not voting yeah. for someone that we believe in. Right. And I think that's where we have fatigue. Sure. That makes sense. I, I was talking with a, a fellow earlier today, his name's Alan Holmes, who he and I kind of, you know, shared our wounds a little bit. And obviously, listen, I, I, I come into this as a white gay male, uh, 49 years of age. Uh, I know what it feels like to be marginalized, but I can't speak to that level of marginalization because I can keep my mouth shut and nobody knows that I'm gay. A black person doesn't have that opportunity. But I do also know what it feels like to be told for decades, hey, we got your back. When the time's right, we got your back. And the frustration of thinking, well, when is the time right? Right. There seems to be a a lot of frustration within the African-American community about results from the Democratic Party, which I get. But I also understand the political realities as well. And... I look back to, uh, like, for example, the New York Times piece that came out uh, after the 2016 election, where they literally had reporters sitting in places like barbershops in Milwaukee asking voters, well, why why were you not excited about voting this time? Why why was turnout lagging? And, you know, this, this cost Hillary Clinton the presidency and also gave us Donald Trump for four years. So while I understand the frustration in, in saying, well, I don't feel like rewarding mediocrity from the left— not participating rewards even worse from the right and just puts us all back decades. How do we fix this knowing the political realities that we face? We know we have to deal with gerrymandering. We know we have to deal with Senate imbalance that gives rural and suburban voters a a leg up. The Electoral College does the same thing. So how do we all come along as this mosaic fractured coalition of diverse voters, uh, with all of us being somewhat happy with 75%, 80% of what the party's able to do, but actually getting the job done as a cohesive unit. How does that work? So I think that's a hard apple to slice. Yeah. Um, Because even your description of, you know, how you see this layout or or this framework in terms of the the landscape of the the two candidates and you know Biden versus versus Trump. I think as black people and and from my own perspective, no matter if Biden wins or Donald Trump ends up, you know, reemerging in the in that seat, white supremacy in this country is still going to win out. Oh for sure. And so and what that means, at least for me, is that black people will re, many of us will remain uh poor. Mm-hmm. Many of us will remain jobless. Many of us will remain unsheltered. Many of us will remain still not receiving the, the types of treatment that we should receive yeah. when we seek medical care right. or, or or assistance. We will still be subject to economic deprivation. And so why are we then taking this process seriously? Why would we waste our time and energy participating within it because as you articulated so beautifully we've been told just wait you know we've got your back when the time is right 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 Mm -hmm. it's now been what 158 almost 160 years Mm -hmm. we've had the right to to vote or, or or you know being granted our citizenship and 
that time has not prevailed. We're not seeing it. So, you know, I I teach classes and many times um, I will have white students say to me, "Well, well, where is your hope? Hope is not a plan. Hope is an idea. Where's the plan? I also want to add to this, though, because what we know is that so much of why people are frustrated has little to do with the role of the president of the United States. Um, I, I, I believe that a lot of the frustration right now has to do with the movement that's happening through the court system where there was the striking down of the um, affirmative action, that yeah. ruling mm-hmm. um, there were, was the, the Dobbs decision, mm-hmm. which reversed Roe v. Wade. And so for younger black people and even people in my generation, Gen X um, to, to understand that progress is not uh, linear, nor is it static, but that, these rights and uh, that that people thought that they had um, achieved at one time that they can be reversed at any given time, yeah. depending upon who's you know who has uh, economic and political clout, which is what we've seen over the last few years. That's very it's it's diminishing. It's disappointing. I think it has caused many people frustration, and so people are assuming the nature of, you know, why then exercise this vote when these rights can be taken away at a whim or, or be challenged um, on a whim? See, this is where I push back a little bit because uh, I, I come in this from a frame of mind like I, I'm a Bernie guy. Like I, I was there for him in 2016 and I was very frustrated uh, that I, I felt like, and this is just me as, as someone who was on the ground uh, working for, volunteering for his campaign, he could not get an audience with the African-American base within the Democratic Party. Uh, they, they did not mm-hmm. want to talk to him. Uh, they, they, uh, there seemed to be, um, and this was in South Carolina too, and I, I, I'm not a huge Jim Clyburn fan, if I'm being honest, because he's kind of a kingpin in that state. He sort of dictates who's going to be the power broker when it comes time in that state for its primary. And I felt like it was already a fait accompli. It had already been decided. We already knew who that nominee was going to be. And... So the base got what the base wanted, but then the base didn't show up when it came time to reaffirm that in November. And I think we all pay the price for that. I agree. And, but I also think you're speaking about a swath of, you know, the black community, which is kind of that black moderate, um, some black progressives swath Mm. of the party. You know, those are the people who have influence, mm-hmm. you know, those mm-hmm. are the people involved in the NAACP mm-hmm. and all sorts of other political groups that are connected to candidates such as Hillary Clinton. Yeah. We're not necessarily capturing all potential that's, that's black true. voters. You're and right. I think some black voters such as myself are just tired. We come from a community where our whole experience in this country has been one of a fight, mm-hmm. fighting against inhumane conditions and circumstances, we then get these rights. We're told if we exercise them, if we participate in these systems, all will be better, things will be made right, um, you will see things change for the better for your community. That has not happened. Mm-hmm. And right now we're in a situation whereby if you go and you assess the last 30 years of economic advancement, opportunity, potential, all of these uh, metrics, 
Black people, particularly African-American descendants of enslaved people, are on the decline in terms of our median wealth, in terms of our median income assets. We're on the decline. We're actually in a regression. When we look at, for example, even our lifespan, right? Uh, 10, 15 years ago, people were talking about African-American lifespan was on average 10 years shorter than that of white people. In the 1960s, it was seven years shorter. Now we're talking 12 to 15 years. So what are the motivations? And I think when you come at it, you know, like you said, you're a white gay male, your involvement, like you have a certain belief Mm -hmm. in these systems and in these processes, because to a degree, They've worked for you, yeah. and, but you've also, you come from the group that's been on top. You know, you you yeah. come from the group that belongs um, in this country. These these processes and the outcomes that, that emerge from these processes were made to reinforce you. They were made to support you um, at, at every turn almost. That is not true for us. And I think that Black people are exhausted. We are with educator and author Dante King. Author of the book, The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide, and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. When we come back, what, if anything, can be done to brighten the outlook? Not for the party, but for the African-American voter and citizen when the Ron Show returns. On the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. We're back with educator and author Dante King on the Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or thank you if you are listening via podcast. Dante is the author of the book, The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. So on the heels of New York Times, Siena College polling showing some degradation of some key support uh, for Democrats and the incumbent President Joe Biden facing Donald Trump, the prospects of facing Donald Trump in 2024. I wanted to reach out to Dante to figure out like how we get this right, because I feel like we're on the precipice of really dangerous territory. Our literal opportunity, and, and maybe maybe I take this less for granted than an African-American does, because as Dante so eloquently points out, they've felt like for more than 150 years that the rights that have been given to them have been slowly eroded or taken away, and the results aren't bearing themselves economically or even in quality of life or length of life. So, Dante, tell me, how does the Democratic Party combat this erosion? Honestly, you know, I'm still baffled by the fact that former President Donald Trump could be able to do all that he did, sparking and really motivating people to go do damage to the capital of the United States. And he could still be on ballot, (laughs) that he's still eligible Um, and qualified. Like, that's the conversation that we need to be having. Like, one can be a villain. They can commit crimes um, if they have money, power, and white skin. Mm -hmm. And they can do all of this damage and still be eligible to qualify for such a position in this country. And can I just tell you, can I I I just add to that, too, by the way? I, I I thought it was really grossed out when I'm watching Fox News, and a lot of their anchors are talking about how Donald Trump being indicted gives him street cred with the black community. Did you, I I don't know if you saw a lot of, I saw a lot of that amongst conservative pundits and it sort of just grossed me out. Yeah, I agree. I think they are trying to perpetuate um, that, that narrative. I do think that because in popular culture, his name has been infused into 
you know, a lot. It's been infused into rap music. His shows were popular. I do believe like his celebrity does reverberate in certain um, siloed communities around this this country. I think that there's some some merit there, but I think that that narrative that Donald Trump being arrested and indicted gives some street cred with the black community, I think that is extremely racist, mm-hmm. extremely racist. And it, it is dangerous because being arrested and indicted is not a black thing, yeah. you know, right. and, and exactly. it, 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 that's the implication. Yeah. So back to how the Democratic Party repairs this, what looks like a hairline fracture at the very least, but could be larger by election day 2024 how do they fix it in my view president biden and i don't know how he would do this um, but he needs to get with congress and try to work out some policy changes that will directly affect and impact black and brown people in this country in our position in this country i think reparations is a start but you know what will like sustainable what could sustainable change look like? And right now, in this particular moment, most Black people don't see the light at the end of the tunnel at all, especially when you have this conservative guy, Edward Bloom, who is responsible for the Supreme Court decision being overturned, but he's also launching, he's launched several lawsuits, one against a Black woman-owned and run venture capitalist group that was... was responsible for providing capital for mm-hmm. women of color, another against a, another law firm to get rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. I don't think right now we are excited or motivated about the political or governmental landscape. And so the fear of a re-election of Donald Trump or the GOP keeping the House or retaking the Senate, that n- none of that is motivating enough, uh, it, it would seem, to really spur a resurgence in that percentage of voters within the African-American community back to the left? I don't think that there's, we don't have the same fear that other people have because we don't think that, you know, for instance, if Joe Biden gets reelected versus Donald Trump, that's not going to change the way in which black people get murdered by police. It's not going to change the way um, someone can murder a black person and they'll then be acquitted, understand your ground laws. It's Mm. not going to change the ways in which every day when black people go into their jobs, they're still paid on average 60 to 70 percent of what their white counterparts Mm. make for the same classifications, the same level of experiences, the same work. We are not coming at this or we don't have the same connectedness or level of appreciation as others may have. And I think Biden, he fought very hard to pursue an appeal to the African-American vote. And when he got in office, the conversation in, in most black circles was that we had nothing to show for being, you know, mm-hmm. part of the the reason why he was elected into office. Mm-hmm. Nothing to our minds has improved in terms of our experiences in this country. And I recently did another interview where they, we were talking about why black people are leaving this country mm-hmm. and going over to places like Ghana or Nigeria to other African countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because we are unsafe here. Our whole trajectory, our whole um, journey um, as a people in this nation has been one of uh, volatility and uh, being unsafe. And we don't we just don't 
have that. We don't have those sentiments now either. So, you know, voting is important on one hand, but then there's everyday life to worry about in different situations. And I just think that we are demotivated and tired at this point. I wish there were a magic wand or a magic candidate or a slate of magic candidates, uh, a, a vision, you know, something like the, a contract with America, or a contract with Black America, something that would really stir the senses and spark a movement the way some of our, our parents and grandparents saw in the mid 20th century. But I'm not very optimistic. And it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like you are as well. I am not. Well... <laughs> I'm glad you took a few minutes out of your day to join me anyway, but uh, I want to remind folks that uh, your book is out there and available to purchase on Amazon and other... In fact, you can go to DanteKing.com and get lots more information about that. The 400-Year Holocaust, White America's Legal, Psychopathic, and Sociopathic Black Genocide, and the Revolt Against Critical Race Theory. Dante King, thank you so much for the conversation today. Thank you so much, Ron. Great to be with you. Felt that frustration and exhaustion to my core. I don't know about you. Anyway... Back with more of The Ron Show returns in minutes on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, welcome back. And I know you may have left the first half of the show going, how depressing, how sullen, we're going to lose. And I try to balance that with uh, some warning and some concern and then as well some reality. I, I I realize we're 12 months out from Election Day 2024. By the way, if you haven't voted already, polls are open until 7 o'clock today. For your local municipal elections, I had three school board seats to help fill, so I went across the street and did my part. So my, my guess in the first half hour was Dante King, and he is an educator and an author, and I really feel like he is like a barometer, someone that I know I can count on to tell me uh, the real vibe within the African-American community. And understand that, again, I'm a, I'm a white guy, born in the South. My taste of marginalization comes from my being gay, but that doesn't give me the full breadth and experience of being a black person. All I can learn about the black experience is by having dialogue and listening to those who live the black experience. And I welcome that, and I want to do that all the time. I'm also going to push back when I feel like I hear or see or read some misconceptions or some skewed perceptions about the state of the Democratic Party and what it is and isn't doing for the African-American citizen. And make no mistake, since the Civil Rights Act was signed into law in the mid-1960s, we've not done enough. And I'm not saying we as Democrats, I'm saying we as a country have not done enough. In fact, I would argue that in the face of white nationalism, white supremacy, the Southern strategy, that we've lost some ground. And when I listen to a Dante King talk about the frustrations and the exhaustion of just trying to hold the line, not even advancing, but just hold the line, trying not to lose more, as he mentioned. Income inequality growing, 
life expectancy, lifespan diminishing. I, I get it, man. I get it. It sucks. It, it's just a constant battle just to hold the line. I, I, I even kind of think of this in like a war scenario where you're at a front and you're just trying to hold the enemy at bay. You're, you're not even at the point where you can be optimistic about making advances. You're just trying to hold the line and they're throwing everything at you and you get frustrated and you get tired. You get exhausted, as Dante said. Man, that has to suck. And I readily admit, and I've probably said this in some way, shape, form, or fashion in the year that I've been on the air, that the Democratic Party has a messaging problem. It has a messaging problem to progressive voters, women, the black voter, the Hispanic voter. I just have to keep telling myself, as I did in 2012, 2014, 2010, 2008, as, as that marginalized gay person, I just had to keep telling myself then, and I, I, I'm just going to keep saying this to anyone else who feels like they're not hearing or seeing their causes championed enough by the Democratic Party. That the option is to stay on that party to do more by staying involved because the alternative is to not vote. And to my friends who are black citizens of this country, have you not seen enough from the Republican Party? They don't want you to vote. And one way to suppress your vote, my opinion, is to wear you down. Do Democrats let you down? Yes, it's apparent. They do. But I also know how the sausage is made. I know how hard it is to get policy enacted, to get a law across the finish line. Biden's been president since January 2021. He doesn't have the House of Representatives with him. Hasn't since then. Can't get a law through the House to reach the Senate with that razor-thin 5150 majority, which, by the way, in most cases requires 60 votes just to bypass a filibuster by the minority party to even reach his desk. What about executive action? Yeah, he can take executive action. Executive action ends the minute he's out of office, though, so it's not long-lasting. And a lot of the systemic and historic issues that plague the marginalized black citizen can't be rectified in less than four years. It's a blip on the radar. I was going back and forth on Twitter today with some activists who were asking, why Why hasn't Biden commissioned a reparations commission? And I... <laughs> It feels icky to say this, but the political reality is it's it's not a it's not a popular position to take. It's only plus of 50% with black citizens. Which makes sense. It's not 
it's not popular with any other percentage demographic of the voting populace in the country. Pew Media Research has done this. And I'm disappointed, and I think that the argument needs to be made and, and the conversation needs to be had. Absolutely. How much of it, how we do it, if we do it, who's paying for it, all this stuff needs to be discussed. Not going to question that. And I don't know why President Joe Biden hasn't ordained a commission to study this. He should. He absolutely should. But I'd also argue, uh, again, when, when the polling says it ain't popular and you're already underwater in polling, and maybe that's why. All right, I'll give you that. Maybe that's why, but maybe it isn't. Then it's, it's hard to touch something that's not popular when you're fighting popularity problems yourself. I don't need Pew Research polling to tell me what an $11 trillion hit to the national debt. That's an estimate of the cost of reparations. I don't need polling to tell you what an $11 trillion addition to the national debt would do. And then the question's about who's going to pay for it. When we're just getting out of a pandemic where we threw trillions of dollars at all Americans to keep our nostrils barely above the waterline so that we could float on through that calamity. Or what that would do to impact a perilous economy right now that's struggling to overcome inflation and housing mortgage rates being what they are. Gas prices because of Trump and OPEC's two-year deal and the Russia-Ukraine invasion. We're, we're, our economy is just tightrope walking its way across a vastly deep cavern trying to get to the other side. I get it. Black voters don't want to hear, not right now, but when the time's right. I get it. You don't want to hear it. The time never seems right. And I don't want to make this statement as if to say, well, black voters just don't get it. American voters in general don't get any of this. It ain't a black voter thing. It's an American voter thing. They don't know how the sausage is made. They don't know the impediments that keep great ideas and uh, wistful political platforming from becoming law, policy, objective, met. Just as the New York Times did after Hillary Clinton's surprising loss to Donald Trump in the 2016 election, CNN and John King have gone to Milwaukee to talk to black voters to find out what's up with the apathy. Listen to a, a good bit of this piece. CNN's John King has been talking to voters in battleground states around the country about the issues that really matter to them ahead of next year's presidential race. This time around, he traveled to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where high turnout is critical for Democrats in the state's largest city. Nearly 40 percent of Milwaukee's population is black, a crucial voting block. But voter frustration could be a real problem for the Biden camp. CNN's John King is with us now. Uh, could be a big problem or is a big problem at it this is point. It is a big problem. It's a huge problem, actually. We were stunned by what we found four days in Milwaukee. Now we have a year to the election. The Biden campaign says there's plenty of time to turn it around. But remember how important black voters were. They rescued his campaign in the primaries in South Carolina. Yep. He won more than nine in 10 black votes. And in just about every of the big battleground states, mm -hmm. that constituency is a foundational element of his coalition. And watch this. Go to come to the streets of Milwaukee with us. He has a giant problem. 
Devontae Johnson is a foot soldier for democracy in one of its most crucial battlegrounds. Hello, I'm Devontae for Black, Black Leaders Organizing for Community. This stop is encouraging. I'm so happy that it's a black man out here that's going from door to door. She's a tough one. <laughs> Fellow organizer Des Woods, though, gets the response far more common these days. I don't talk about the election. Woods is trained to keep trying. So are you not a voter? When I want to, uh -huh. and right now I don't want to. The predominantly black neighborhoods on Milwaukee's north side can look and feel forgotten. One of the main things you care about. The canvassers meet often and share what they are hearing. Good paying jobs are scarce. Rent is up. The streets used to be cleaner and safer. Do y'all hear people say, it ain't nothing happening, it, don't, it won't affect us, it don't. Raise your hand, raise your hand. That's all they be saying, it's like, ain't no change. Wow. So we see all these other areas. Block founder Angela Lang outlines this week's agenda and next November's stakes. There is no way to win a statewide election that doesn't run through the black community. What happens in Milwaukee can impact the rest of the state, which ultimately can impact the rest of the country. No pressure. The president was last here in August for a green energy event. And this old industrial site is being cleaned up with Biden infrastructure money. Putting in the work for black America. But early spending on radio and TV ads targeting black voters is proof the campaign sees the problem. Those ads don't mention one issue critical here. People are wondering what is he doing in terms of police accountability and criminal justice reform. Lang also says the president better show up more. People always want to see um, people actually paying attention. And sometimes that means being able to physically be here and engage. Black turnout soared here in the Obama years, but it dropped in 2016 and was flat in 2020. On a scale of one to 10, how would you grade the Joe Biden presidency in terms of its impact on your life and your community? A four. Mm. A four. Yeah, and I love That's Joe. Devette Baker, though, sees a reason for optimism. The alternative is the man whose name I try not to say. Right. Well, I'll say it. Um, <laughs> when we sit, as we sit here today, the likely alternative is Donald Trump. Right. Would that be enough to motivate people, even if maybe they're a little eh on Biden? I think so. Joanna Brooks is one such voter. She owns a yoga studio just across the Milwaukee line in Glendale. All right, Shaw. Like many we met in the city, Brooks says black voters get taken for granted. Black people in general, I think, tend to be pretty loyal to the Democratic Party. Um, and sometimes I wonder, just based on how that party has performed thus far for people of color, if we should continue to be. But Brooks says that accountability exercise must wait until after 2024 because of constant Republican attacks on abortion rights and voting rights. I grew up almost certain that my rights were guaranteed. Right, I took it for granted. And now as I sit and watch the work of so many black folks during the civil rights movement, uh, so many women who fought for women's rights. When I see all of their work slowly being undone, that was a, a wake up call for me, for sure. And I have to point this out again, this piece is being done in Milwaukee and she's right about, you know, thought I had these rights taken for granted, blah, 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 blah. And it was a collection of what, 77,000 voters in precincts in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, uh, what, what other state was it? Ohio, was it? Uh, Y'all, it wasn't great back then when Hillary was on the ticket versus Donald Trump, but it's worse now. So I feel what she says about taking things for granted. And it's hard to make the sales pitch. Yeah, okay, it ain't great now, but it could be worse. Well, we've 
found out it did get worse. Anyway, let me go back to the piece. So, you have to fight. Eric Jones yes. is no Trump fan, but he thinks it's foolish to bet on Trump motivating black turnout. I get people saying they're not going to vote. That's my fear, that if they see those two and they're going to say, screw it, we're, we're damned anyways. We met Jones at the fifth anniversary of the Bronzeville Collective. Several local artists sell their goods here. It is a source of smiles and hope in a community often defined by poverty and a high incarceration rate. When the factories and the manufacturing left, jobs left. When jobs leave and opportunities leave, then you have certain things that are uh, domino effects, right? Jones says the president should stop by and learn a lesson. You bring opportunities, you bring jobs, you get votes, plain and simple. For the president, it is the mood a year from now that matters most. But the mood today is bleak. If you're Joe Biden, then you want to be reelected. He'd have a problem today, right? Yes, he will. He'll have a big problem. Johnson's work could well help the president. But listen. If it were just Biden and Trump, who would you vote for? <laughs> that's, that's, that's just a tough one. A young man who says the country needs big change. Determined to boost Milwaukee's black turnout, yet not sure who gets his vote. And honestly, if I'm a Biden strategist, if I'm a Democratic strategist, lean into the basis of support that you've either ignored or, in the black voters' view, taken for granted. Lean in on their needs. Adhere to what they say is needed and what you know in your heart is needed. I would say the same thing to Democrats and Biden operatives about the progressive voter. Stop taking them for granted. Stop telling them to get in line or else. For a lot of my voting life, the Democratic Party tried to win back the Reagan Democrat. Well, the Reagan Democrat was just a transitioning conservative, leaving the Democratic Party that became less conservative for the Republican Party that became more conservative. They're not coming back. Democrats have been trying to win over that middle ground, the Lincoln Project Republican. And to them, I would say, listen, if Trump's on the ballot, the Lincoln Project Republicans come in here. And if you're worried about suburban women, suburban women are worried about the Dobbs decision. So speak to that, but also take care of your base because your base is feeling rather disaffected right now. President Biden uh, launched a moonshot effort to end cancer. Okay, cool. That's great. That affects everybody. Everybody's affected by cancer. But where's the moonshot to end systemic wealth inequality, to end judicial disparities, police brutality, launch the Reparations Commission for crying out loud. Not that this country may ever have the political will or intellect to get around to dealing with the wealth gap and all of the systemic and codified ways that this country has disadvantaged descendants of slaves, but at least launch the commission. Put pen to paper and create a process that shows the future America that does have the political will and the intelligence to deal with it. The roadmap for getting it done, you know? Back after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday, Election Day 2023 Tuesday. Not the sexy Election Day because it isn't an even number. There's a lot on the line and I think we can kind of get an idea of where the electorate is mentally. When we look at Virginia, all 140 seats in the General Assembly on the ballot today. Republicans obviously hoping to win control of the Senate with Glenn Youngkin there ready to completely ban abortion. So abortion's on the ballot. 
we'll get an idea of what Virginia voters, a swing state, Virginia is a swing state, what they, uh, wh- where their mind is when it comes to abortion. Also, if, say, pro-choice folks are able to rally and, and save that state from a total abortion ban, will they be as fervent and excited and energized to do it again a year from now? We'll see. The governor's races in Mississippi and Kentucky, you hearing me, are competitive. Now, Kentucky actually has a Democratic governor. Governor Andy, he's so handsome. Andy Bashir uh, is one of those rare Democrats uh, running a red state. Um, if he is reelected against this, his opponent, the Republican Attorney General by the name of Daniel Cameron, um, maybe he's the canary in the coal mine that shows other Democrats how to do this, winning in red and rural states. Uh, there's an abortion measure. No, wait, wait. First, first of all, let's get back to Mississippi. There is a competitive race for governor in Mississippi as well. Tate Reeves is sort of unpopular, even with conservatives. I was reading this post uh, in uh, Mississippi Today where they were talking with conservative radio folks. A fellow by the name of Jack Fairchild. They call him a household name for many Mississippians who follow conservative politics. His radio show got him a sizable following during State Senator Chris McDaniel's three statewide runs, including earlier this year when the far-right lawmaker challenged but ultimately lost to Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman in the August Republican primary. So ahead of the November 7th governor's race between Republican Tate Reeves and Democratic challenger Brandon Presley, who, by the way, is Elvis's First or second cousin. Uh, Fairchild's devoted an entire episode to a couple of questions that many political observers have asked. Is Reeves in trouble with conservative voters? And if so, could that pave the way for a Presley upset? I'll share this article from Mississippi Today in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com. Uh, Fairchild said Reeves didn't do enough to help McDaniel in the 2023 Republican primary. He pointed out Reeves reneged on his vow to let voters, not politicians, decide whether to change the state flag. Oh, my God, y'all, the flag. He said conservative voters feel frustrated about the current state of politics. They've been in total control of that state. Who are they frustrated with? Uh, And he also said many voters just don't like Tate Reeves as much as they like the Democrat Presley. Fairchild said this is not a slam on the governor. But it's just an honest observation. Tate doesn't come across as a likable individual. <clears throat> and when you see him on TV ads, they don't really help him. But when you see Brandon Presley on TV, there's something more about him that come across more likable than Tate. If you're just a voter that knows the names and are seeing the ads, I don't think Tate comes across as likable as Brandon does. Fairchild's also pointing out that uh, he thinks conservative voters may prefer to choose to let Ray, uh, Tate Reeves lose rather than support him. It ain't good when your own party's voters don't like you, man. That's all we'll say about that. It, it, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and hold my breath. Uh, I'm not even sure that a, a Democrat winning uh, the Mississippi governor's race really changes a whole lot. Uh, Andy Bashir was the governor of Kentucky, and yet Kentucky's abortion rights... Actually, we had a Democrat in Louisiana. Louisiana's abortion rights. Anyway, that's something else we'll be watching. I mean, for all the hand-wringing about uh, the Biden poll numbers in 2024, we might win the Mississippi governor's race? 
By the way, abortion literally on the ballot in Ohio. This is a pretty big test as well. Ohio's become sort of a reddish state in the last 10, 20 years or so. So anyway, there's a vote on a proposed constitutional amendment to protect access to abortion in Ohio. And the results there could tell us, be a bit of a canary in the coal mine as well, if abortion is going to energize voters in 2024. All right, that's going to do it for the show today. I want to thank Dante King for joining me. He, of course, uh, joining us in the first half of the show talking about uh, black voter sentiments and how aligned are they still with the Democratic Party. Show notes and more at ronshowatl.com. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, americanradio.com, or wherever you podcast. I will see you tomorrow. Have a good one.